Bitch tryna live right, tryna eat right What, what, I got something to say, let me talk, let me talk. You either for me or you not Hello, I'm Edie Driscoll, your host for this episode of The Future of Policing in Columbus. Today we're visiting, revisiting, a pressing problem in Columbus. How does the police department respond to calls that involve a mental health crisis? We began to explore this question in an episode during 2021, when the Columbus Division of Police had just begun a pilot to study a call center approach they named the Right Response Unit. You may want to listen to that episode as well to hear a national expert on the topic and Commander Dave Hughes, the commander responsible for the program. For this episode, we catch up with Kevin Truitt, the Legal Advocacy Director at Disability Rights Ohio, to see how things are progressing from his point of view. Since we last spoke with Commander Hughes, Much of the responsibility has been transferred to the Columbus Department of Health under the direction of Marion Stuckey, the section chief for Neighborhood Social Services, which now includes the Right Response Unit and the Mobile Crisis Response Unit. Marion has been with the city for eight years where she's always managed programs that are designed to meet people where they are and solve the problems at hand. She has degrees in business, administration, and social work from OSU and is a licensed independent social worker. Let me welcome you, Marion. Thank you so much for being with me today. And um, we've got a lot of good information I'm sure you can share. Yeah, absolutely, Edie. And thank you for the opportunity today. Glad to be here. So last year, Commander Dave Hughes from the Columbus Division of Police joined me for a conversation about the Right Response Unit At that time, I think it was just starting into a pilot phase, and he explained that this was a way that folks who are experiencing mental health crises might get a quicker response or a better response. Can you catch us up with what what you learned from that pilot and what those responses look like right now? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it's been a full year, actually over a year since we implemented the right response unit. And that's exactly right. It's really designed and meant to be an approach where we can meet the caller's need. Um, Just being able to really triage, really take our time to assess and understand the needs of the caller, build rapport, um, sometimes doing some de-escalation work, um, but really getting to the, the crux of what the call is all about. Um, what the person's needs are, and ultimately helping them to feel heard in that really vital moment. And so we have, you know, the team of social workers that work side by side with the dispatchers. And as calls come through, they're able to, um, as, I, as I mentioned, connect with the caller. Sometimes they're doing some of the background work. They're connecting with um, organizations. They're kind of doing some some research to try to figure out who this person is connected to and how do we how do we connect them again if they've gotten some disconnects or, or whatever's happened in the meantime? So they're working to do that. They're working to understand who's the best responder um, and who can go out if needed. Um, sometimes there is no uh, dispatch that's needed. There's no dispatching of anyone that's needed. We can complete that call right there, right there. There's no need for any follow-up. Um, but sometimes there is a need for an officer to go out depending on, we like to talk about the acuity of the call and if there's a safety concern. 
Um, but in the meantime, the, the magic that happens is that while an officer is maybe in route, the social worker, the clinical professional can talk to the person and de-escalate. And, you know, there's been cases where weapons have been put down um, in the meantime, while the officer is in, in route to the, to the location. And so that's, that's essentially how it works. So a caller ca calls uh, in crisis. There's also now an option for someone to opt to uh, be transferred over to the right response unit. Um, and they get to connect with that clinician. And we've been so able to really lean on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, so that, so, so walk me through, if I'm, uh, say, a family member of someone in crisis, am I, am I allowed to call? Or does it have to be the person in crisis? Like, and then when I call, what would I say? You know, how do I, how do I get to this, this department? And I understand they're not there 24 yet, 24 seven yet, right? Right. Yep. Yep. That's true. So anyone can call. It's it's a it's an open line. Anyone can call if there's a concern, and that often happens too, as a family member is calling on behalf of someone. Um, so anyone can call. The call taker immediately picks up the call. Um, they they are asked if they would like to be transferred over to the right response unit if they're able to, you know, make that decision, and if it's assessed to be a mental health related call. Um, on the other end of that, there is a number where the community can call in and request to speak directly to, or I think it's you, you dial, you know, three and you, you're connected to the right response unit directly. So there's a couple different options. And yes, anyone could could call in um, to get connected so with the, it, the team. So, so do I have to know that term, right response, or can I just say, I'm having a mental health crisis, I'm in trouble, and then it would happen for me. I mean, is that's kind of where I'm getting is mm -hmm. that like, do I need to be informed as a consumer, like to press three or is the system set up that the original dispatchers that get the call would immediately send me over to um, the clinician? Right. The latter. So, so there are, they're, they're looking out for words. They're looking out to um, to best get the content of the call. And they would make that, they would make that connection for you. So you don't have to know, specifically to say right response unit, but just that, Perfect. you know, there's a, that mental health piece, that crisis piece would, uh, you know, alert the call takers and dispatchers to say, okay, we would like to transfer you over to the right response unit. And that's how the connection takes place. That's perfect. So, so these people are essentially sitting with the dispatchers downtown or somewhere. They are on the phone their entire shift, but you also have staff who are riding along or or going out on these calls and what is what is that unit called yeah so that's called the mobile crisis response team and that includes an officer and a cit trained uh, officer as well as a mental health clinician so they are they respond to some rru calls as well yes and that program's been around a little bit longer actually right that's that's yes. not as new and so have there been any changes in that program in the last year since the right response unit has been active? Like, have there been things you've learned through the right response clinicians that have sort of filtered down to that team? Mm -hmm. I, I would say just kind of like the, the, the ability to build rapport and to help to de-escalate. It's really critical in times where the mobile crisis response team is called out. Um, so just being able to, to have that person on the other end of the call that's staying with you throughout has really been beneficial. Um, and as you mentioned, MCR has been around, but the right response unit, like the, the combination of the two 
uh, really works well and in partnership together to get to the person to have them have some of the pre-work done before they before the MCR team even gets there. So I would say that's been a huge takeaway is, you know, those moments, those seconds that happen, um, they really matter. And so as much as we can, you know, connect with someone and um, under again, understand, listen to them and help them feel heard in that moment, it makes a huge difference for the outcomes that we've seen so far. So I saw your testimony or your report to the um, uh, Civilian Police Review Board last week and you or your colleague mentioned that you had all been to C national CIT training, which um, you can tell us what that stands for. Tell me what you learned at that training, and did you see models from other cities that you might want to bring here? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, Karis, my colleague that was with me at the CRB uh, meeting was at the, the staff that attended, and she did share that there was a lot of just really important insights and just coming together collectively to share stories and share best practices has been a huge benefit of that training. And she's been going to that for quite some time now. Um, but CIT stands for crisis intervention training. And so um, that training really does help to, um, to pull together practices because everybody's different, especially in a crisis, you have to keep in mind, everybody has a different uh, response and they might respond to different things. So we have really been diligent about, connecting with other partners, with other cities um, throughout this process to make sure that we are connecting and, and thinking about best practices overall. Um, and I will say that we're continually doing that, that work and we'll continue to make sure that the CIT conference and other things are a priority to make sure that we are just getting, you know, firsthand information from other cities that are doing this as well. So late last year, you took over you, meaning the health department, took over a piece of this from the division of police. And that was kind of a seismic sh shift in, in the way the city is approaching these issues, at least from the community's perspective. Do you see a way or a time in the near future where, where there will be a non-police response to some of these calls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are actually in the planning stages right now of what we call our community team. And so the goal is to always be assessing that acuity level or just what are the safety concerns, what is the crisis, to really understand the best we can in terms of, you know, who should best respond. So it's always been at the forefront of our minds to think about um, how can we match the crisis with the right responder, with the expertise. And sometimes um, we are finding that, you know, it's important that it's, it's not always police. It's not all, you know, there, there's, there's other options in terms of how we put together a team and we really match it to the needs of that, that situation. So yes, that is forthcoming that we're, we're working on getting that together to be able to have a community-based team that would respond to the cause as well. I also heard you say, or someone say that you're like many industries right now having trouble staffing and mm -hmm looking for, I, I know uh, there's a huge school of social work right here in Columbus, you know, to issue, but is this, help us understand, like, is this sort of a new specialty of social work and maybe asking people to do something they may not have studied in school, or do you feel that it is pretty consistent with the skills that social workers are turned out with anyway? And it's just, it's just another way to practice your craft. I mean, is, is that where the, mm -hmm. 
you know, where's the, where's the shortage coming from, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's actually a nationwide shortage of mental health professionals. So I think that's part of the, the trouble. And I think that this is almost like a niche, a niche area. I, I don't know that um, just your new social worker coming out, unless they've had some internships or some exposure, um, is, is fully prepared. So it, it does take a lot of on-the-job training and just training overall to get someone to a space where, you know, they're, they're feeling like they can, they can respond to a, a person in crisis where um, they might um, have suicidal thoughts or um, be, you know, on the brink of doing something dangerous. So it really does it really does lead to needing specialized skills. And I would say a strong passion for this work uh, because it is quite stressful. And it's something that we've thought a lot about in terms of providing you know, support for our team and making sure they have avenues to work through the traumatic things that they're seeing every day. So it really has to be a full circle environment. But I, I would say just to answer your question though, it's really, um, I, I think it takes a strong passion. We're talking about non-traditional business hours as well. Um, we are, we're going to be expanding right. to second shift. So there's that piece too. It's not a nine to five in the office situation. You're going out and you're seeing people in sometimes, sometimes the worst day of their lives, right? You're, you're yeah. having to, um, you're having to respond. So I, I think that it, it requires some unique skill sets for sure. Is, is funding an, an impediment for you? Um, do you have enough money to do this? Yeah. So we, we have definitely been well-supported. Um, from city leadership, they really believe in this program. Um, so we are we are working to make sure that we can um, have all that we need and everything that comes with that, um, from the and, you know incidental funding to uh, making sure we are you know able to do everything we can to retain uh, effective staff for these roles. So we are we're doing okay with that, but I, I think it's just the combination of an overall shortage of mental health professionals and the pool to other kind of more in-office settings where it's a little bit more predictable, whereas this is just, it's just not, yeah. you don't know what you might run into each day. So are the social workers who are going out with the police officers on their calls, is there pay equity there? Are they, are they earning the same for that same sort of risk and shift differential and everything else that you're mm-hmm. talking about? Yes, we have worked really hard to make sure that that, that there's shift differentials and uh, that it's comparable pay because they are their, their first responders essentially as well in yeah. that in that role. So we are, and we're constantly uh, evaluating that and making sure that we are um, we are in a good place with that. So yes, we are doing that. So in a perfect world, um, kind of wrap up here and let you tell me if we were talking a year or two from now, what would you love to be able to report back that is now happening. You know, what's your goal for the next couple of years to take mm-hmm. this to the next phase? Yeah, I, I mean, I would really say just expanding our access and making sure we are able to get to second shift. We know that there's a certain time period where calls do increase. And so we want to make sure that right now our shift, um, we're in the middle of that. So we end a couple hours into that. So we need to make sure that we're covering um, calls and um, hours when where there tends to be a trend around crisis. So I think for me, success looks like being able to have the appropriate coverage, having highly trained, qualified, compassionate staff. That's another thing. And that's the ongoing thing is making sure we do have the right teams. Uh, you had mentioned building out the community teams. That's a big part of what we're looking forward to as well, um, to think about, again, like who's the best responder in that moment? 
And so um, I, I would say that combination is really important to us, uh, making sure we're keeping our workers in mind in terms of their well-being and their needs. Um, and we have a diverse, you know, a diverse staff as well. So just really meeting the community. That's something we're really passionate about in neighborhood social services and Columbus Public Health is just making sure we are, you know, fully equipped to meet the needs of the community um, and also learning and growing in that process because there's going to be, you know, the natural um, ups and downs, but we're, we're really absolutely open to figuring out how we can make this, you know, the best program possible in collaboration with our partners because this has really been a coming together of so many different parties and people and city departments to make this happen. So um, I, I hope that answers your question, but that's kind of where I see things is just continuing to build so we can be as, as effective as possible in serving the community. Excellent. Um, thank you so much for your, both for your commitment to this and for um, your willingness to catch us up and, and let us know. Maybe one final question. Um, what can the community do for you in terms mm -hmm. of, do you need, you know, I, I asked the funding question, you know, people are more than willing to lobby for uh, things that, that are important to them. So mm -hmm. if you can tell us what the community can do to help you, maybe we can end with that. Yeah. A great question. I, I often think about how just the word community, like we're all coming together to to support each other and just recognizing um, when one person in our community is, is hurting or, or suffering, we all ultimately, I feel like we all, you know, see that and we all feel that. So I think just being aware of mental health and, and, and mental illness and what that looks like, knowing the signs, um, knowing when someone's not kind of their normal self and being able to say, you know, I, I, I see you and I care about what, what you're experiencing. Um, we definitely, on, I guess on the programmatic side, we are um, always looking for ways to improve and, and hear from those we serve. So we are very much so interested in, you know, eventually having advisory boards so we could have that that touch with, with those that we're directly serving. So just always knowing how we can better improve. But I to me that the biggest thing is just staying connected and offering care and concern for those that, that we love, our neighbors, you know, just um, just being present and available is really important. I know that's kind of vague, but that's one of the most important things that we see across all the programs is just really that need to care about each other, being, being human with each other um, to make sure that people can get what they need ultimately. So if people have a, um suggestion or they want to volunteer or maybe even serve on that advisory board or you know have some sort of ongoing dialogue they should reach out to the department of health is that is that a good way to start can they write you or you know yeah i can share my email mm -hmm. yeah sure. i would be more than happy to uh, it's ma stuckey so m-a-s-t-u-c-k-e-y at columbus.gov excellent Thank you so much. I, I wish you well with, with all of your goals and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, bye-bye. After we spoke, Marion sent me some statistics that might help you put her work into context. During its first year, the Right Response Unit triaged nearly 1,300 calls, which is about one out of every thousand calls that come into CPD. Police were dispatched to almost half of the calls, trained clinicians from the mobile crisis response teams accompanied them 164 times. There were zero uses of force and 12 arrests. 
none related to the mental health crises. The other callers were connected to local mental health providers or the Division of Fire SPARC program, which serves the elderly. Stay with us. We'll be back after this short break to talk with Kevin Truitt. I'm Michael Kent, host of the Internet Says It's True podcast, where we talk about things that sound made up but are actually true. Like the fact that as many as 10,000 people were killed when the government poisoned alcohol during Prohibition. Or how Abraham Lincoln jailed journalists and city council members that he thought might sympathize with Confederates. Or how the CIA once had a top-secret heart attack weapon. All of these stories and more are available to you. Just search for The Internet Says It's True on the NPR One app or at the WCBE Podcast Experience. We're back. I spoke with Kevin Truitt a couple of months before the interview you just heard with Marion Stuckey. CPD and the Department of Safety were reluctant to send a representative to catch you up on these initiatives. And as you'll hear from Kevin, this lack of transparency is one of the major concerns that he and other advocates have. The mayor's office and the Department of Health, however, have been eager to share their progress. If you're interested in hearing more from Marion and her colleagues, there is a complete YouTube video on the City of Columbus channel of the Civilian Police Review Board meeting on September 6th, 2022, where they go into much more detail than we could fit into this interview. Kevin Truitt is the Legal Advocacy Director at Disability Rights Ohio, which is a federally mandated and funded protection and advocacy group appointed by the governor to work for people with disabilities. In this role, Kevin is notifying local and state government officials on the policies that will be best to protect folks with mental health and other disabilities who might be harmed by interaction with police. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining me in this important conversation. So your work has been busy, I imagine. Give me a sense, how much of your work do you spend focusing on the police? It's definitely a big project, a big priority at Disability Rights Ohio. We attend uh, bi-weekly meetings with the coalition that's developed in Columbus, uh, developed last year, and is really active and engaged, and spend a lot of time talking through these issues and trying to talk to people in the community who are impacted directly by these uh, by these issues. And so, yeah, it's it's something that we're very excited about, high priority for us. Which, which coalition are you speaking of? Um, it's the Columbus Safety Collective. Yeah, so this, this coalition was actually formed to focus on these exact issues, this alternative crisis response system in Columbus, and how can we make this system the best and least harmful, least oppressive? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, that this coalition is is focused on these issues. That's that's the purpose and the re- the reason why it was created. Yeah. Great. So, since we talked last, did you? Well, do you remember when we talked last? Let's start with that. I <laughs> do. do you remember, yes. You remember what I time? Know. What time that was? And the the police were just installing a new what they called a pilot, and yes. I believe the pilot is now completed, and there are reports. Um, you've reviewed that pilot or the reports from that pilot, I imagine? Well, one problem is there's not a lot of transparency coming from the city. Um, we've been to some city council hearings. We um, have heard information in the, in the local media. Um, 
but there's a lot that we that we just don't know yet. Um, a lot of the things that we've been hearing we're troubled by, concerned about, and we do know we do know that um, this pilot program has been operational since last June. We know that it has handled close to 500 calls through this uh, alternative crisis response system. But we also know most of those calls are still being addressed by police officers. This is a system that was designed to take police officers out of the equation when someone is ex experiencing some type of mental health crisis or drug overdose or issues related to homelessness. And so really curious why it, there's still an overwhelming police response to these situations when this, this program is intended to take them out of the equation. That, that's, so a big, that's, a, that's a big question that we have. So that data that you're basing that on, um, they've given you a report? That was in the local media. That was um, from a, a public statement, I believe in the Columbus Dispatch by Ken Kuntz, who's the city's administrator of support services. Okay. Basically oversees the 911 call center. I heard a story that said many of those calls have, that no one's going out, that they are actually being sent over to other agencies. Um, is that something that, that you're aware of? That could be the case for those calls that aren't receiving a, a police officer response, um, but we don't know for sure. And then of the ones that the police officers are going out, are they being accompanied by licensed social workers? So there's also, in addition to this um, alternative crisis response system, um, the city's calling the right response unit. Um, there's also, there's a lot of different programs and models that the city has in addition to this right response unit. Um, they have the, um, what's often called a co-responder model. The city calls it their mobile crisis response, which is law enforcement who are trained in crisis intervention, along with social workers, mental health, substance abuse clinicians, uh, which when we talked last was a concern of ours that having a clinician or a social worker alongside of, of, of law enforcement, alongside of police officers, doesn't really change the, the dynamics, doesn't change the power imbalance, and also often serves to escalate um, crisis situations. Even with officers who are trained, even officers who arrive with good intentions are intending to be friendly. Just having a police officer there who has the authority to arrest, incarcerate, take someone to a psychiatric hospital, like that can be really scary for people who are in crisis and is not the right response. Yeah. Um, so it's, they're, they're, we're still hearing that, um, that law enforcement is responding to mental health crises in the community. And I understand that it takes time to build up the capacity and new systems, but again, transparency, accountability to the community. We want to be, there are a lot of people across the city who are very, very interested in this and want to be engaged and want to give input and 
concerned that that's not happening. The, the standard that I think the city should be measuring success or the standard that the city should be using to determine what type of system is best is are people who are in crisis, in a mental health crisis or a drug overdose or experiencing homelessness, would they trust this system? Would they, would, would they call 911 to ask to be, um, to ask to have a response from this alternative crisis crisis system, this right, right response unit, is it something that the community actually trusts? Would they recommend it to friends and families and neighbors and other community members? Like that, that's the standard. It's if the same people, question that Target asks you, you know, for everybody, right. you know, like, would you it, refer this to a friend? Yes. If the community doesn't trust it, then there's a reason why it, there, there's going to be a reason why the community doesn't trust it. For example, some of the success stories that we've heard from the city, in my view, are not success stories. So a person who is experiencing some type of mental health crisis, they send their mobile crisis unit to respond, and the person ends up going to a psychiatric hospital. That's, that's better than, than going to jail and having criminal charges brought against this person who was in crisis. But also, involuntary psychiatric hospitalization can be very, very harmful, can have very serious impacts on people's lives. They can, not just the trauma from being hospitalized sometimes for days or weeks or months, but they can lose their housing, they can lose their jobs, they can lose their kids. So that, that type of thing is concerning that the, that the city is seeing those outcomes as positives, right? right? So that's that's why it's so important for the city to listen to people who are directly impacted by these issues, listen to them, listen to their stories, listen to what they think, what type of system they think would be best. So other than um, CAHOOTS program in Eugene, Oregon, other than that, are there other models, or is that the benchmark that that folks are following? Uh, so there are a lot of different models across the country. A lot of them have sprung up since the summer of 2020. The George Floyd protest really, really um, resulted in a lot of momentum with these conversations and cities considering different different models for responding to problems in the in the community. Um, so CAHOOTS in Eugene, Oregon is one model. It definitely has its flaws. It's very similar to the um, alternative crisis response system here in Columbus. Very, very close connections with police. Um, the, the dispatch system is embedded in the overall 911 response system, right? So if you call that 911 number, hoping that you get diverted to this alternative crisis system, I think there's no guarantee, right? It, it could be that police show up even even if you're calling specifically so, so they don't show up, right? I think yeah. I think Cahoots in Eugene, Oregon has like the vast the vast majority of of cases that get funneled to Cahoots, police officers don't show up, but um, 
obviously we're not at that point in Columbus. Um, but then there are other models, different cities um, have more of a um, peer support specialist model, which is um, basically people with lived experience who um, have lived through mental health crises and know what it's like and can relate and connect to a person who is experiencing this crisis, right? It's, it's that like solidarity in... Um, Columbus starting any of the peer support models or trials or trainings or anything? Not that we've heard of. It's the right response unit is social workers, paramedics, um, and then a dispatcher within the dispatch unit. So again, it's, 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 it's moving in the right direction, um, moving away from a law enforcement response to mental health crises in the community. But we would like to see more of that investment in peer support specialist. From a transparency or accountability perspective, we always want to know, you know, which tail is wagging the dog in terms of, you know, you can put social workers in, you know, who are new hires who um, are reporting to police officers um, and their job is being structured by a police system. Right. Um, you sort of wonder how much control or power do they have and in, in, in the yes. pilot, in the pilot. Yes. Okay. I would be interested to know that. I would be interested to know like what are the outcomes for each of these responses? Um, and, and in outcomes, I'm thinking things like how many arrests, how many hospitalizations, how many three-day holds, you know, I mean, things like that. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, but also, so there, I mentioned earlier that there's been since June, this was as of a week or two ago, there's been 450 calls routed to this right response unit. But what about the other calls? How, how are they making decisions about what goes to the right response unit and what goes to these other, whether it's just traditional law enforcement response or the co-responder mobile crisis response unit, which is police officers and social workers. Okay. How, do, how do they make those decisions who, which calls are going to which response unit, right? So, yeah. You know, you know, like how is this actually working and how are we keeping, you know, when is it ethical to send somebody to a three-day hold when right. you know yeah. that there are other solutions yeah, so um, there, there's a lot of critiques of social work out there, which others can speak more eloquently about that, but also um, social workers who are working within the context of broader systems like you're describing now, if they're working in a system where the police have the power to make decisions, right, then the outcomes, in my view, are likely to be more harmful than if you have a system that's completely independent of the police and um, one that's trusted by the community and um, 
like I said earlier, peer support specialist feels like the best model. People with lived experience with mental health crises responding to people in mental health, experiencing mental health crises. Like that's the best model. That's what we want to be pushing for. Um, so yeah, it, it's complex. It's, there's a lot of, a lot of complexity to this. Um, so that what came to mind there was um, if, so you, you jumped from social workers inside of a police system where they're going to be offering solutions that are more harmful than not to a peer system, are you thinking that would also be within, I mean, are, are the, cause you have to get down to the tactics, right? Like, like right. am I calling a separate number or if I'm calling 911 and I say peer support, please, do I automatically get peer support? You know, like how, how does that um, translate? Yeah. If you call 911 and you ask for a peer support specialist, or, or how, how do you even make that request? Or should there be a separate line, separate from 911 for people to call that, that's completely independent of the police? Like th these are the conversations that we should be having as a community. And it, it doesn't feel like that's happening. It feels like decisions are being made behind closed doors. There's not a lot of transparency. And there are a lot of people across the city who are very interested in this conversation and want to be a part of it and want to be heard. And it doesn't feel like that's happening right now. So um, appreciate, appreciate the progress, progress that's being made, but there's still, there's still a lot of work to be done here, clearly. Well, nice yeah. to speak with you. And I really, yes. I appreciate your incredible, um, you know, just stick to whatever you want to call it. Like, thank you. It's clear to me that the eventual solutions for this problem are not yet in place. Both Marion and Kevin have their eyes on strategies to investigate. If you have questions you would like to hear discussed in future episodes of this podcast, please send me an email at podcast at matternews.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of the community that cares about the future of policing in Columbus. I'm Edie Driscoll, and our theme music is from Why Unknown. Me down? Why you crossing the line? Why you crossing the line? Crossing the line? I'm just raising my voice. Why you keeping me down? Why you keeping me down?